Our teaching text for today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 7 through 8. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Folks, it is week eight of quarantine in New York City, and now we got murder hornets on the way, and there's a polar vortex this weekend. Uh, 2020 needs to relax. My word. Um, happy Mother's Day to all of you. Uh, this is hardly the Easter or the Easter tide season that any of us uh, could have expected, but we are uh, adjusting and adapting as we go. Uh, I hope you are well wherever you are tuning in from. Uh, I've been feeling grateful in these days for uh, the kind of anchoring nature of, of the scriptures. Um, of course, there's always deep interpretive work to do, um, but I, I'm glad for something that is more transcendent than just the, the news headlines for the day or, or popular opinion or, uh, or, or even my, my best ideas that are floating through my heart and mind. Um, I think this is a time uh, where we, we need to ask who has the wisdom to really lead us in the life we are longing for. And then also, what, what is shaping that vision? What is shaping the vision of the life that you are longing for? Uh, I think that's an important question for us to return to, and these days give us an opportunity to do that. Uh, another comfort uh, for me has been, um, as I've returned to these New Testament stories in the aftermath of Jesus' resurrection and, and Easter, is, is just remembering that the resurrection of Jesus didn't break forth in a world that was ready for it. Um, the, the movement of Jesus didn't grow up in, in some soft, clean, nutritious soil. Uh, it didn't emerge in easy conditions. There was resistance 
all along the way. Uh, I, I think it's inspiring that Jesus tells this sort of small group of followers that I imagine this would have been mind-blowing uh, news to hear, that they are going to carry the movement uh, of Jesus. They're going to tell his story in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the, uh, to the ends of the earth. Um, Surely they must have felt like underqualified or, or even ill-prepared on some level for that task. Maybe they didn't even fully like hear what he was saying when he said that to them. Um, but however inspiring the idea itself was, the actual accomplishment of it uh, took place through immense difficulty. And, and, and that's where we are this morning. The story that we're looking at this morning is the account of the first martyr, Uh, in the movement of Jesus, the first person to give their life, to die, proclaiming the Easter message, and then all the persecution that arose after that. Because that's a really important detail. It was pain and persecution that was a huge part of, of why the church moved out of Jerusalem towards the ends of the earth as a part of that promise that Jesus had spoken. The change that occurs is miraculous. It's revolutionary. It is, it is full of astonishing love, and it absolutely changed the world. But uh, it's interesting to think about that, that, that part of the narrative, that, it, that what actually sparked them to leave Jerusalem was pain and persecution. So I want us to focus in on a few uh, of the last moments of Stephen. Stephen's life. What a Mother's Day text, right? It's Mother's Day. Oh, let's talk about stoning. Um, uh, <laughs> we're just going to see a couple of the moments uh, as they're happening, what they meant then, what they mean for us now. And just so you have a sense of where we're headed, I'll tell you right at the top, um, I think this story addresses some, some, some deep level things in our, in our lives. Why counterfeit gods show up? Why they are so hard for us to give up? Um, why your faith will wither, why it will die without a certain crucial process that we have to regularly return to. And then what is possible for us even when we are scattered? I think we can look to the Jerusalem church in these early days and and learn a few things. So I'm going to admit that is an ambitious list, but I think we can do this. So we'll get right into it. So first thing is why counterfeit gods are hard to give up. Uh, Stephen's story spans a, a couple of chapters. It is a remarkable story. It includes a long uh, sermon, which I appreciate. Um, but we initially meet him in Acts 6. Uh, he's, he's selected um, to be a part of this group that's going to serve, serve tables uh, as the church's his ministry is growing to those who are in need. Uh, we see the New Testament church in, in Acts 6 trying to balance several of its essential purposes, right? They're proclaiming the, the, the message of Jesus. They're, they're praying, but they're also meeting the tangible needs of their neighbors. And they select in Acts 6 what, what many take to be the first group of deacons to address the practical needs of feeding the Greek and Hebrew uh, widows in Jerusalem. And Stephen is selected, and it specifically says he's selected because he is full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So this happens, this sort of a, a disbursement of the, of the workload in the, in the early church, and the strategy is effective. The, the text tells us the Word of God um, spreads rapidly. Acts 6-7 gives us this particular detail. So the Word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. 
That's, that's a wonderful description, by the way, became obedient to the faith. That's a little bit different than uh, they mentally agreed to a few ideas about Jesus. Uh, th- their lives, these priests, their lives were, 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 were being formed around uh, who Jesus was. Their faith led to obedience. That, that's a certain type of life, not just a mental assent to a few ideas uh, about God. But all, that detail also means something uh, important socially and and. and even politically in the day, it means that many influential Torah-believing Jewish leaders were coming to faith in Jesus. And uh, quite frankly, that posed a threat to the establishment. And so uh, the text tells us that opposition arose. If, if you uh, look in Acts 6, starting in verse 9, it says, Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as provinces of Cilicia, of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders... And the teachers of the law, they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They couldn't stand up against the wisdom that Stephen had from the Holy Spirit. And so they turned to other tactics, right? They they, they turned to conspiracy, to false accusation, to manipulating a crowd. And we know, right, from modern day, right, that that sometimes those those tactics are easier than having a sound argument. So uh, the two accusations that we find out as we move through the text that Stephen is essentially facing is he's speaking against Moses, and then in particular, he's speaking against the temple. That's the accusations that have been drummed up against him and his his response is uh, he, 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 t- he retells Israel's story. And we didn't include his whole sermon uh, in, in, the, in the teaching text for time's sake, uh, but I really encourage you to go back and, and read all of it. It's in Acts 7. And he reminds those who are accusing him, he reminds those who are listening to him of several crucial parts of their story, from from the days of Abraham, from the time of Jacob and his sons, from the days of Moses. He reminds them that Israel has been a part of God's plan to set the world right from all that went wrong in Genesis 3 through 11. Genesis 12, he begins with calling uh, calling Abraham. And that Israel's uh, vocation and calling as a people had always been connected um, to, to this uh, thing in the heart of Yahweh to set the world uh, to set the world right, but also in retelling their story, he's 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 reminding them that there's always been groups within Israel who refuse to see what God is doing. Right, the brothers who sold out Joseph, those who who who, who opposed Moses and who grumbled against his his leadership, and and, and 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 a matter of fact, by the time we get to the section where our text begins today. We actually see some really incendiary terms. Um, in Acts 7, verse 51, uh, Stephen says, You stiff-necked people. To you and I, that may just you know, seem like uh, a, a very biblical insult, but uh, there's a lot behind it. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. This is incredibly strong language. Uh, th- this week, uh, as many of you will, will be aware, uh, a video surfaced uh, of the men uh, who attacked uh, Ahmed Aubrey. Uh, it, it was made public, and many describe what they saw in that video as this young man uh, was killed. They describe what they saw as a lynching. And the reason that term is so alarming 
uh, and effective as a description is lynching has a horrific public history in our national memory. Uh, Using that word um, is a way of saying this atrocity is like those previous atrocities and we have to wake up to what's happening. Uh, It it should uh, stir something in us. It should uh, alarm us. We should hear that not just with our ears, but like in in, in the center of our being. And and may God have mercy on us. And may may we be willing to repent and to change as as is necessary and as we are led. So when Stephen uses the term, you stiff-necked people, even though that might just glance off of our ears, he's using a term that's drawn from Israel's history uh, to, to make a comparison in a similar way. This is the language that was used in the famous incident with the golden calf in Exodus. Stephen is telling his accusers, listen, you're still clinging uh, to man-made counterfeit gods just as some of your ancestors did in the wilderness. You have to wake up to what Yahweh is doing. And he's saying this at tremendous risk to his own life. Uh, He knows that uh, by, by laying this out in front of them, by using this type of language, that that he, he's, he's very likely going to die for his words. Um, I think it's important too, Stephen is very careful to honor Moses, uh, but, but also to say that the physical rebuilt temple um, is not the centerpiece of what God is doing, right? To those who are accusing Stephen, the, the temple was supposed to be the place where heaven uh, came to earth. Um, but Stephen is boldly testifying that God is doing something new, that God has done, done something new in the person of Jesus and, and in the followers of Jesus and those who are filled with the, the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done, that that's actually the place where heaven has come to earth in the, in the person and in the movement of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, the temple would soon be gone. We know that as a historic reality. So God is filling people with his spirit. We are becoming uh, the temple through what Jesus has, has done. He, he's saying this temple that, that, that you're, you're so um, uh, c- concerned about it and, and, and worried about defending, this is actually not the centerpiece of God's plan. God's covenant faithfulness has always been the centerpiece of God's plan, that God is going to rescue and repair the world, that he is committed to involving us in that, but he's also committed to filling us with his very life, that we would become temples. That means God has been committed to sending us Messiah, that Messiah's work is is going to make it possible for us to be cleansed and filled with the Spirit, right? The the veil tore in the temple and the holy place was was opened up that, that the presence of God might fill our very lives. We are to become temples. So Stephen is exposing to those he's speaking to that they are in the grip of an idol, that something has their heart more than God, that there is a counterfeit God. And and quite frankly, uh, idols can be very challenging, uh, very hard to identify, and even more difficult to let go of. Uh, I think it's really helpful um, how Tim Keller puts this. Uh, Listen to these words. We think that idols are bad things, but that is almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything which absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give what only God can give. 
A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family or children, or career and making money, or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, even success in Christian ministry. Those are the types of things, right? It's not just obvious, bad, evil things that can, that can creep onto the throne of our heart and can take the place that God is meant to occupy in our lives. It can be many good things that we begin to, to give an ultimate significance to in our heart. And those who are about to kill, who are about to stone Stephen, are clinging to a good, a quote-unquote good thing. Their idea of the temple, their, their understanding of the, of the tradition of Moses. But in the middle of that, they were missing God. And so Stephen retells their story. He retells their story to expose those counterfeit gods, to expose the places that their hearts have been wrapped up uh, with, with, with these idols. And I think N.T. Wright is, is really helpful here. He says, Stephen is claiming the high moral ground. He stands with Abraham, with Moses, with David, and and Solomon, and with the prophets, while the present Jewish leaders are standing with Joseph's brothers and the Israelites who rejected Moses and those who helped Aaron build and worship the golden calf. As we consider our own traditions and think of them lovingly since they prove that we ourselves are in the right place in our worship and witness, perhaps we need to allow the story to be told differently and to see whether we ourselves might be in the wrong place within it. As we hear the story of God told and retold, the true story, it starts to give us the opportunity, it even does the work of exposing the places where we have settled for lesser or false gods, where they've wrapped themselves around our hearts, where they've taken that place that only God is supposed to occupy. So make no mistake, there is something in your life that you are treating like a God. There is something that you are putting first in your attention and your affection and your devotion. And right at this crucial moment, after Stephen has retold this story, um, we we get this powerful vision. Stephen has a powerful vision of God. He actually sees Jesus standing up in his defense and honor. Um, But what he sees and what those uh, who are listening to him, how they respond is, is quite different. It says in verse 57, At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. There's maybe no no better picture of a group of people who are absolutely unwilling to change, right? Everything about their posture communicates it. They're covering their ears. They won't listen to someone they don't don't agree with. They're they're yelling. They're trying to triumph uh, by sheer volume. They're willing to resort to violence um, to stay in power. So this is a, a, a really good instructive word for us. We need to be very careful about what has our heart when we find ourselves refusing to listen, when we find ourselves in a, in a frenzy uh, about losing control, when we find ourselves willing to even resort to violence, when that is a part of our instinct, we need to be very careful about what has our hearts. Here, here's the reality of our lives. And, and in relationship with God, we are presented with many opportunities to grow and to change. When we stop accepting those opportunities, we are on tremendously dangerous ground. 
God is gracious. God is merciful. God is more loving than we can possibly fathom. Uh, but God will keep drawing us into change in, in, a, in a loving way. He will, he will keep moving us to become like Jesus in our character. He will, he will keep moving us to grow towards, towards being holy. The actual, the most free and alive place that a human being can be is holiness. It is not stodgy religiosity and rule keeping. It is to be fully alive to God and to other people. So, so God's going to keep drawing us towards those types of changes where we let go of, of any false gods, no matter Uh, how subtly they have wrapped themselves around our hearts. And our cooperation in that process is, is called repentance. Uh, re- re- repentance is, I, remember I said at the beginning, there's, there's, there's a crucial process without which your faith will die. And, and that process is repentance. And without it, so we, we get a picture of it with those who are, who are listening to uh, Stephen, those who are accusing Stephen, those who are about to stone Stephen. When, when you don't have a regular practice of repentance in your life, when God can't confront you and draw something out and show you, expose a way that, that, that you've let a false God or a counterfeit God or, 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 or some malformed desire into your heart, if that process is not present, then eventually your faith is going to become brittle. It's going to become fearful. Uh, it's going to become mechanical or apathetic or, or lifeless. And eventually it is going to die. And so this process of repentance is absolutely essential for our, our walk with Christ, for our life of, of, of faith. It, it, it means, uh, when we talk about repentance, we, we mean acknowledging uh, where you've gone wrong and then taking God's invitation to, to a new way. It means confessing that, listen, I, I confess when you've accepted lust or, or envy or, or comfort as a false god. Right? But it also means confessing when, when racism or, or greed or some perverse nationalism has been allowed to live unchecked in your heart. It means taking your fingers out of your ears, listening carefully for the voice of the Holy Spirit, and remaining sensitive to God's voice and God's telling of the story. And it means also a commitment to go the other way. Right? Repentance is, is both a confession, a cleaning out, and then a commitment to go another way. So repentance is something that we have to do personally. Absolutely. That's even part of how we began our relationship with trusting and knowing Christ is through repentance. But regularly we, we allow the Holy Spirit to search us and we say, God, show me where I have accepted any false or lesser or counterfeit gods in my life. Something we have to do personally, but it's also something that we can and we should do communally. Um, so personal repentance, we may be, you know, relatively familiar with, but but communal uh, repentance is something important as well. And it can begin with things like this, prayers like this, right? Praying is not all of it, but it is part of it to say, oh God, we have made an idol of our Sunday gatherings and we confess uh, your church is so much more than that. Lead us by your spirit in new ways of loving you and loving our neighbors. Or how about this? Oh God, our national story is scarred with racism and slavery. We still see its horrifying effects all around us. Have mercy and heal us. Let us move forward in deep love and restoration as all people are made in your image. Or how about this? Uh, Oh God, we confess even an unborn child bears your image. Forgive us for making false dichotomies that say we can't provide adequate health care without taking the life of children for mere convenience. God, have mercy. 
Oh God, forgive us for thinking the lives of the elderly or, or disabled are somehow expendable for the sake of our economy. Have mercy and give us your love for life, oh God. Here's another example. Oh God, we have talked a good game, but we have not prayed. We barely know your heart because we so rarely listen for your voice. Have mercy on us and teach us to pray. Forgive us for measuring our lives in electronic likes rather than in divine joy. Oh God, we have been ashamed of you. We have not known what to say and we have not had the courage to say it. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Forgive our apathy and our excuses. Lead us to share the gospel as a message of hope and life. I'll give you one more. Oh God, forgive us for treating those who believe differently than us as if they were somehow less than us. Anyone who knows you knows you because of grace. Forgive our arrogance and tribalism. Lead us in the way of Jesus. These are ways we can communally repent as as a people. There, There are lots of ways that God may be leading us by His Spirit to repent personally and communally. I want to say uh, it has been stirring in my heart. I think that this crisis is, is a time, uh, is a moment for repentance in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, in our nation. It is a time to allow ourselves to ask where we have settled for counterfeit gods. And I'm so grateful that most of the time God leads us toward repentance through His kindness. The cross of Jesus was a a horror and a tragedy, and God brought new life from it. Uh, The death of Stephen was a horror and a tragedy, and God moved through it to begin a new chapter in the story. Now, that doesn't give us permission to say more more than we we know when, when tragedy hits. We should be extremely cautious about saying why some some terrible thing has happened, but against all odds. God does continue to work in the middle of horrific tragedy. After, after Stephen's death, a great perse- persecution arose. And we know from later events that Jesus took that persecution personally, that he identified with his people. But the persecution still, it scattered the church. Right After all those sweet, beautiful days in Acts 2 and Acts 4 when they were sharing life together and the church was growing and, and people were being filled with the Spirit and everything was unbelievable. After that, by, 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 by this point in the story, the, the persecution is scattering the church and yet the church thrived. The community of Jesus grew just like He promised from, Jeru- from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. People who would not have heard suddenly heard. The church scattered and the church grew. So if we want to know some of what is possible even when we are scattered, we should know that new people can hear of the love of God and the message of Jesus. I see a variety of different statistics, but there's been an uptick of almost 20% of people seeking out a church during this pandemic. And, and I'll give it to you. The numbers are, can be skewed, and, and on some level they're hard to get exactly right, but there does seem to be undeniably a growing spiritual hunger in our time. 
We are those who can be, who should be, who must be courageous to share the love and message of Jesus in our words and in our actions, right? Because you never know. Our responsibility is the obedience. God's responsibility is the results. But you never know, right? The text tells us after the stoning of Stephen, they laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. No one could have imagined that this was going, uh, the, the change that was going to take place in this, in this young man. He is going to become, of course, the Apostle Paul. And Stephen's message, Stephen's retelling of the story, right? We know Saul was a trained rabbi at this time. Stephen's retelling of the story must have echoed in his mind. The way Stephen died, offering forgiveness, even at the moment of being hit with the stones, right? It became a part of his ministry, sorry, a part of his memory. And we know that this, this Saul is about to encounter Jesus in a life-changing way. Saul was so familiar with, with, with the story of the Jewish heroes um, who, who, who had died, who, who had been martyred, promising their tormentors, God is going to get you. You might kill me right now, but God is going to get you. And yet here with Stephen, we get a man forgiving those who are stoning him. The heart of the message of Jesus at the heart of the gospel and the kingdom of God is a man dying for his enemies. And Stephen is, is repeating that act. A whole new way of being human is breaking forth in the world through the resurrection of Jesus. So what's possible for us in this, in this scattered time? We, we are scattered, but we can still rehearse our story. Uh, we, we can see where are the places that we have settled for idols or counterfeit gods. We, we are scattered, but we can and we must repent as the Holy Spirit leads us. God, show us the places that we need deep, holistic, thorough change in our hearts and our minds and our attitudes and our practices and our communal life. We are scattered. But we have a message of love and salvation to share no matter what the opposition our King, our King Jesus is someone who dies for his enemies, who forgives them even as he is being executed. What we are in the middle of right now is not anything we would have planned. But just like the first followers of Jesus, we can see where God is at work in the midst of us. Where, where, where God is at work in, in, in our city, in our world, in our own hearts, in our homes. Let us, let us pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for how many layers there are to this story. I thank you for how um, just re reading this text from, from, from so long ago can still reach forward and sort of grab us by the heart, grab us, uh, grab our attention and say, look at what, what has control of your life. Look what is, uh, it is operating in your mind. Look what is, is shaping your motivations and that you can confront us. I, I just pray, come Holy Spirit, search our hearts, search our minds. Expose any place that we have settled for lesser false counterfeit gods in our heart. Uh, may, may, may you just shine the, 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 the light uh, of your presence, the light of your insight deep into our hearts, God. May we be willing, led by your kindness, to do the work of repentance. Would you help us to confess what we need to confess and to go in a different way? Would you help us to be those who are courageous as Stephen was to proclaim the message of Jesus, the, the message of hope and resurrection in these days? God, none of this we can accomplish on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us in all of it. We pray, come Holy Spirit, lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.
Church, there's several steps of response as we uh, move into worship and as we prepare for communion. Uh, confess any counterfeit gods that you have been trusting in. Offer that up to God. Um, as God directs you, I invite you to step into places of repentance, to turn from any counterfeit and false gods, and to return with your whole heart to Christ, and then to commit courageously to share the love and message of Jesus. Um, all throughout the gathering, you can request prayer, and someone will get with you right away to, to pray over whatever God has on your heart or any questions that you might have. And I really want to encourage you not just to watch with us, but to join in. We have Zoom groups um, that, are, that are beginning right after this, this call. And it is so important to stay connected uh, to rich, meaningful community in these days. So um, let's continue to respond. Uh, Let's prepare our hearts as we worship and prepare for communion.